Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Are you well this morning? Someone say yes. Awesome. Good to have, that was a solid two. Let's try that again. Are you well this morning? Somebody say yes. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, it's good to have you at church. And uh, real quick, I do want to, uh, I want to say thank you to a group of people before we get into the word. Um, every week we have people show up here uh, somewhere between 7, 7.30 or so to uh, set up church and to put up all those great signs and make the stage look the way it does and set up all the audio equipment. And uh, this week, uh, as this is the nature of a rented facility, uh, I received a phone call and some photographs from, on my text message uh, stream there from the guys who run the building here. And they're like, hey, just so you know, uh, there's a, a bit of a production going on at the building for the next couple of weeks, and you're going to have to navigate around some of the, the stage stuff. And I said, oh, yeah, no big deal. I'll come by and take a look at it. So when we walked in this morning, uh, there was a black, uh, like, scrim all around this stage, and right behind these curtains, you can't see it right now, but it is an underwater world for the Little Mermaid. And so... Uh, there's like wave walls and like huge stages and like Ursula's tentacles and all that. And yeah, and it's very cute until you have to tear it all down to set up church. So uh, I have a team of guys that came in this morning, a half an hour early at 6.30 to strike the stage and set this stuff up because they love you all so much. They just want you to have an amazing worship experience. So can we give it up for our vibe team, our production team, our AVL guy, all of those guys, you guys are amazing. One day we will own this place and then we won't have to worry about it anymore. Okay. <laughs> Strike that from the recording. Okay. Well, hey, last week we started a brand new series in the book of James, and uh, we have been calling this series Practical Faith, and I'll tell you a little bit about what that means in just a moment, but uh, if you are new to the church and this is your first week, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon, even if you weren't here last week, uh, to check out last week's sermon, because um, it really will, it will help build a framework for this series. We're doing uh, what we would call an expository study, which is basically kind of line by line, thought by thought, going through the book of James. And I said last week, it's sort of like, uh, it's preemptive instead of reactive. Uh, basically, we're preparing ourselves for, for stuff that we know is inevitably going to happen in life, uh, instead of just turning to the Bible in emergency situations and hoping that the Word of God will speak to us and deal with our, our, our situation. No, we know that life is going to throw us some curveballs, that things are going to be difficult. And so sometimes it's just good and healthy to read through the Bible and not try to find a certain topic, a topic but just to read through it and do whatever it tells us to do and lock some stuff away for the rough situations we know we're gonna face. By the way, that's a great reason to get a Bible reading plan and just read through the word of God every single day. And uh, like right now, I'm in the book of Exodus and I'm reading through like how they built the temple and like the jewels that were on the priest's garments. And a lot of it, you're like, why am I reading this right now? This doesn't really encourage me at all. Uh, but I can tell you that as you go through the word and you just get it in you every single day, inevitably something is going to happen a couple of months from now and you're gonna hearken back to a scripture that you read in February and go, oh, I remember when God said this in the word and I locked that, that truth away in my heart and so I'm glad that I just read through the Bible whether I think I need it or not. I take my medicine uh, because it's good for me and I'm gonna use this stuff someday. So uh, we're doing that with the book of James and we're calling the series Practical Faith because the word practical means to actually do something instead of to just have a theory or a concept. And I think that there are a lot of people, especially people of faith, that have a theory or a concept about God, but we're not really do anything, doing anything about our faith. And I don't wanna be a church that just believes something. I wanna be a church that's all about something. 
James was kind of the first guy to say, don't just talk about it, be about it. You know what I mean? Like he, was, he kind of had an attitude with this book. You didn't get that. Okay, that's fine. Um, that's good. I thought that's what young people say. Maybe they did like five years ago, but I'm old now, okay? So that's why I keep it tight here. Get rid of the grace. So we don't wanna just talk about it. We wanna, we wanna be about what God has asked us to be about on this earth. And so uh, last week, as we went into this series, I explained kind of the heart of the author behind this book. And it is imperative that we understand the author's heart because if we don't understand the author's heart, what we read through in this book might come across as demanding and as rules, as a behavior modification platform. And that is not the gospel. The gospel is not that we change ourselves so that we can be accepted by God or so that we can get close to God, but the gospel is that God left heaven and he came to earth to get close to us. And when we encounter his love and we experience him for who he truly is, our natural response is to say, I want to live my life for you. And it's important that we keep that thought in mind as we approach this book, because I don't want anybody walking out of here on any of these sermons going, you know what? I got to change so that God can accept me. No, 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 no. God accepts you today just the way you are. You are not here by accident accident. You are here because he's called you by name. He knows exactly where you're at. He's okay with whatever you're trying to sort out in your life. And he loves you enough to say, come as you are. You don't need to change before you get to me. I'll work some stuff out along the way. That's how good God is. So again, please listen to that sermon so that we have the uh, appropriate framework. Today, we're going to dive into uh, the next kind of major thought that James begins to explore. And I want to talk to you about temptation today how to resist temptation. How many would say that would help you a little bit? Yeah, I think we could all, if you're not raising your hand, you're a liar and this is church, okay? Uh, So we're gonna pick up in verse 12 and just for the vetted Christians in the room who are like, well, wait a minute, you skipped over kind of like my favorite part of James because, you know, right after verse one, he says, uh, uh, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many. I see people smiling and nodding at me right now. Yeah, uh, that's because my wife preached an incredible sermon about that scripture our second week as a church uh, in our Welcome Home series, and she called it Laugh Often. So if you really want to hear a sermon about that, you can go back and check it out on the website. But today we're going to dive in in verse 12 and read through verse 17. Here's what it says. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, notice it doesn't say if, when you are being tempted, uh, do not say God's tempting me because God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He says, don't blame God for temptation. Here's what temptation is. Is. So we're, we're gonna kind of unpack that a little bit this morning. And if you're gonna take notes, I highly recommend you do. It's an easy pass to heaven. <laughs> it's not true. Uh, but we're gonna call this get under it. Get under it. And uh, let me pray and we will get into it as we get under it. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you uh, for your presence today. I thank you for Joel Houston and that song, So Will I. What an incredible declaration. And I feel like every time we sing that song, we just get a glimpse of your greatness and your power and and, and what you created for us to enjoy on this planet. 
And uh, the God that created heaven is here today. You are here in our midst. You, the God who created the oceans and, and, and brought life to this planet, you are among us today. And I pray just as you spoke back then and you changed things with one word, that you would do that through the preaching of your word today in every heart. Lord, that those of us who walked in here, whether we've been going through a, d- a difficult season or this is the greatest season of our life, we trust you to do a work deep within us before we leave this place today. We didn't come to church to sing songs and hear somebody talk. We came to church because we believe that your presence and your word have the power to change us. So do something in us today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. What tempts you? Like, I think we could all think of things that we seem to fall into over and over and over again. And while, you know, maybe temptations will vary as we get into people's lives a little bit today, we're gonna hand around the microphone. I'm gonna have everybody confess what tempts you. No, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, but, you know, th- there's, there's some differences in the room for sure. There's some things that may tempt you that don't tempt me. Uh, but there's also some things that probably tempt many of us in the room. And as we got into the subject of temptation, I was thinking to myself this week, how can I, how can I create some level ground for all of us to walk on? So I decided to, to take a look at a few temptations that maybe many of us in the room would struggle with today. Uh, let's throw some, some pictures on the screen. Let's start with this one. Um, does that tempt anybody in the room? And by that, I mean, has anyone in the room ever sat in your bed after your alarm has gone off four or five different times and you've hit snooze and the air conditioning is, or excuse me, the heater doesn't seem to be working quite like it should and you know that it is about 50 degrees warmer in your bed than it is outside your bed and you've been tempted to stay in the bed a little bit longer than you should. Anyone who can sleep till noon in the room today, okay. That's a real temptation for sure. Uh, how, how about the next one here? And this one's, this one's real for me. Oh, come on, somebody. <laughs> Why buy one when you could have two, right? Like, my wife literally just a few years ago told me, like, when you're in a grocery store and it says, you know, two for this price, I always thought you had to buy two in order to get that price. I didn't realize that if you just bought one, it was only half that price. So I'm the guy that falls sucker to the BOGO every single time. Say no to the BOGO, but you know, anyway. Uh, What about this next one? Yeah, come on, somebody. It is no secret that your pastor is addicted to chocolate, and this is, in fact, my greatest temptation on the planet. And you know, a good church would pray for you and like, you know, they would, they would encourage you when they saw you like, hey, I believe you this week, you can do it, pastor. You're not, gonna, you're not gonna fall prey to the chocolate, but you guys are not those people. Every week, somebody brings me some form of chocolate and puts it in front of me so that I fall into my temptation. A couple weeks ago, somebody made a cake for us and they gave it to us and uh, I ate the entire cake during that week. And the next Sunday, I came as if to brag about my accomplishments to say, man, I ate that whole cake this week. And I was expecting like, man, that's great, that's awesome. And instead, I just saw judgment in their eyes for for what I had done the week prior. So thanks for that. Uh, How about this one? Yeah. (laughs) Now, a few of you are like, now that's inappropriate. But you watched him last week on TV. Don't think you can't see him on this screen, all right? Can we all just send Adam Levine a text right now and tell him to pick a different state to to put on his, his stomach, you know? Take them off the screen, that's disgusting. Anybody have a celebrity crush? Anyone have a celebrity crush? It's okay, you can be honest. And ch- okay, no, that's, that's it, yeah, me neither. <laughs> okay, true story. I probably shouldn't share this at church. Um, true story, uh, when I was a kid, um, 
I had a crush on a cartoon character, and I don't know if that's normal or not. Maybe it's not. Uh, but I remember watching the movie Aladdin, and I was like, oh, Jasmine has got it going on. Like, I am all about Jasmine. And I would watch that movie over and over and over again. My parents just thought it was my favorite movie because I loved Aladdin and kind of looked like him, but I'm like, Jasmine is where it's at. And that, that crush lasted for a few years until one year my parents dressed my sister and I up for Halloween as Aladdin and Jasmine and ruined everything for me. And I'm like, that's it, I'm done. Jasmine is now my sister, so awkward. Um, so what tempts you? Like, seriously, what, what are those things that, that you seem to fall into over and over and over again? Maybe many of us might be tempted by some of the things, minus Adam Levine, that we saw on the screen there a moment ago. Uh, but all of us have our own unique temptations. But, but I, I'm going to make a statement, and, and I want to prove this out over the next couple of moments, and that is, while each person has their own unique temptations, those temptations are not unique to the individual. What I mean by that is your temptations have probably been your temptations for a long time. The same things have probably appealed to you over and over and over again. In fact, maybe you cannot remember a time in your life where you were not tempted by that thing. And if you are anything like me, and I think that we would probably all fall into this category, you have probably asked God over and over and over again to take those temptations away. Like, God, why? Why do I, I seem to fall prey to the same thing over and over again? Why is it always the same temptation? Why do I fail? Why do I fall? Why do I fall for the same guy over and over and over again? Tall, dark, no Jesus. Like, why do I fall for that dude over and over again? I should be swiping left and I'm swiping right. Like, I don't, I don't want to go down this road anymore. Why, why do I always why do I always respond with dishonesty? Why do I always respond with anger? Why? why? Just, just get rid of this thing. And if we could for a few moments today, what I want to do is I want to peel back the curtain on the spiritual realm. And I want us to understand why we are tempted the same way over and over again. But in order to understand why, we first have to understand what temptation is and what it is not. Because many of us have probably misdefined temptation in our lives. So, so come back to this scripture in the book of James, and here's, here's what he says. In James chapter one, verse 13, remember, when you're being tempted, don't say that God is tempting me, because God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. There's two things I want us all to see out of this scripture as it pertains to temptation. What temptation is not? Number one, temptation is not God. It is imperative that you understand this. Temptation, look at me in the face, is not God trying to test you and figure out if you've got the spiritual fortitude to actually resist it. Temptation is not God. The reason it's important you understand that is because if you apply temptation to God and you think that he is the source of your temptation, but you seem to fall into it over and over and over again, then God becomes nothing more than a cruel taskmaster or a cruel carrot dangler to try to figure out if you've got enough in you to really live for him. And when you don't, who do you blame? You blame the guy that's tempting you. 
We misappropriate the blame onto God when it should be on the very one, the evil one, who is tempting us to do wrong. God is not cruel. He's not trying to figure out if you've matured enough to serve him for real. Imagine if you had a friend who was struggling with alcoholism, you probably wouldn't bring that friend every single day to the bar to figure out if they actually have enough within them to resist drinking. That's not what love does. Love does not put you in a situation over and over again so that you will fall. No, love tries to protect you. So you need to understand God is not the one tempting you. It's not from him. The second thing you gotta understand according to James, not only is temptation not God, temptation is not sin. It's not sin. It leads to sin. It gives birth to sin, but temptation is not sin in and of itself. Again, here's why it's important you understand this. There are many believers who have bought into the lie of the enemy that temptation itself is sin. And when you believe that the temptation inside of you is sin, then you will begin to hide what's going on for fear that there is already guilt and shame associated with what's going on on the inside of you. The greatest lie of the enemy is that he allows you to feel guilt and shame before you've even fulfilled the action that is associated with your temptation. And what does that do? It keeps us at a distance from God. It keeps us at a distance from people. Augustine mentioned it in his testimony this morning that we don't wanna tell anybody what's going on on the inside of us because, well, I'm already guilty and ashamed of what's happening on the inside and I'm afraid of judgment. Listen, what's happening on the inside of you has not given birth to sin yet. Temptation is not sin. So if temptation is not God and temptation is not sin, then what is it? What, what is it? Like, it's there, what, what's, what, what's this process? Well, well, James give us, gives us a little bit of a glimpse into how temptation works. Again, back in James chapter 1, verse 14. It says, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. It comes from our own desires. Let me give you a definition for temptation. Temptation is the devil's appeal to an ungodly desire that is already in you an ungodly desire that is already in you. Temptation's origin is our desires. Now that's probably not good news to many of us. Like, wait a minute, there's something in me? <laughs> what are you saying? Like, hey, I hate to break it to you, there's some evil desires inside of you right now. If you don't believe me, watch a two-year-old. There are some evil desires locked up in you from the time that you were young. The reason you fall for tall, dark, and no Jesus is because he's up in you right now. The reason you lie, the reason we lust, the reason we are greedy is because those desires already exist in our broken humanity on the inside of us. They are already there. The natural response to that is like, I wanna get that thing out of me. Like, what is the deal? But here's what the enemy understands. He understands that if he can get your outside circumstance to resonate with your internal desires, then he can get you to break. I was thinking about this, this whole thought this week and 
I remembered that a few months ago, while we were uh, in this room doing a sound check, that we discovered something called the resonant frequency of this room. And that might not be a, a, a term that is familiar to everybody, but let me explain what resonant frequency is, and then I think you're gonna get this, and I think it's gonna help somebody. Resonant frequency exists in all matter. Everything has a frequency that is associated with it, and if you, if you, uh, if you hit the right frequency for anything in this world, it will begin to shake and it will begin to rattle. Uh, that's why, if you've seen these videos before, someone who has a really good voice and has perfect pitch, they can sing a note to a T uh, in front of a wine glass and they can cause it to shatter. It's because the resonant frequency of that wine glass, the key of B at a certain frequency, it causes the glass to shake and ultimately it will shatter. Well, well, this room has a resonant frequency and it is the key of A at 58 hertz. And I thought it would be fun for all of you to experience what it sounds like when the key at the right pitch in this room gets hit. So we've got this recorded. This is probably gonna hurt somebody's ears, but Miguel, can you show me the key of A at 58 hertz, please? Okay, stop, stop. Dear Lord Jesus, okay. <laughs> now, when you hit the key of A at 58 hertz, at the right volume, everything in this room begins to shake. The walls begin to shake. It begins to resonate in this room because somewhere locked up in these walls, probably behind one of these demonic figures, is, <laughs> except for Moses, he loves Jesus, okay? The rest of these guys, I don't know about. I think Solomon's over here somewhere too, but. Locked up in these walls is the key of A at 58 hertz. Now you would have never known that until something on the outside began to resonate with what was on the inside and it manifested itself in such a way that the effects of it caused pain. And if we let that key ring long enough, I don't want to test it out, but science tells us that the sheetrock would begin to shake enough to where it would crack, and that we could in fact bring destruction simply by aligning with a resident frequency that is already on in the inside of this room. Well, that is exactly what the enemy does to you over and over and over again. He tries to try, strike that familiar chord that lives on the inside of you, and whether it's greed or it's lust or it's dishonesty or fill in the blank for your particular proclivity, what happens is your outside circumstances begin to align with something that is resident on the inside of you, and as that frequency begins to vibrate, it's only a matter of time before you break. And it's almost like you forgot what it was like the last time you fell into that sin cycle because in the moment it's satisfying, but then that same familiar guilt and shame and everything that you hate that's associated with it comes sweeping back in and it becomes this endless tailspin where Christians are just trying to figure out how do I resist temptation? But there is a good side to this. There is some good news. Because honestly, when all of us discover that there's things inside of us we don't like, our natural response is, okay, well, how do I get this thing out of me then? If I had a parasite in me, I want it out. How do I get temptation out of me? Well, here's the good news. 
The good news is, the longer you follow Jesus, the more free you're gonna become. It is a process called sanctification, and the longer we continue to say yes to him, the more frequently we're gonna be able to say no to those things that once tripped us up. Your ditch from five years ago does not have to be your ditch today. Come on, how many people here today are glad that they're not where they were 10 years ago or five years ago or even a year ago, that you are going from faith to faith and from glory to glory and that freedom is increasing in your life. The longer you follow Jesus, the more free you're gonna become. Thank you, Joe. But here's the bad news. And I would be a terrible pastor if I didn't tell you the truth. The bad news is, most of the time, those temptations are gonna be your temptations. Probably as long as you live. Yay! <laughs> I say most of the time because there are occasions where supernaturally, God completely rewires the way somebody works. I have friends who've gone into the waters of baptism and they were severely addicted to drugs or severely addicted to, to cigarettes. And in one moment when they came out of the water of baptism, God completely rewired them and they never had a desire to pick up another cigarette or never had a desire to go back to a drug. Amen, that's incredible. But, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> no, you wanted to clap there. Most of the time, that's not what happens. Most of the time, same temptations you faced before, you're still gonna face. Like I would consider myself to be a pretty strong Christian, which should be encouraging if I'm your pastor. <laughs> um, but I gotta tell you, 35 years old, and the same stuff today tempts me that did 10, 15, 20 years ago. My temptations haven't changed. My ability to resist those temptations have. I'm living in freedom now, but I still find myself being tempted by many of the same things. Because here's the truth that all of us must come to understand. And, and I would not be your friend and I wouldn't love you if I didn't tell you this. You are never going to be able to avoid temptation. It's impossible. And chances are, you're never gonna just get over it. Hence the title of this message. If we truly want to resist temptation, we can't look for someday, hopefully, when we get over the same things we've been tempted from over and over again, we have to learn as believers to get under it. Now that might be an interesting phrase, but I wanna, I wanna show you where that exists in scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Here's what the apostle Paul says. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Pause for a moment. That is an amazing promise right there. That should also be an encouraging statement to many of us in the room. Because a moment ago I said most of the time those temptations will never lift. But when those temptations do lift, the reason they lift is because you would not be able to bear that temptation in your humanity. And God knows every fiber of your being and he cares about you so intimately that if you could not handle it, he will take it away. But if you are still facing that temptation that you were facing 10 years ago today, then it should encourage you to know that God sees you as one who is able to fully resist that temptation. There is more in you than you realize. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. If you're being tempted, it's because God sees something on the inside of you that you may not see on the inside of yourself. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
But when you are tempted, he will also provide an escape so that you can stand up under it. He'll provide an escape so that you can stand up under it. Does that sound like a contradiction to anybody else but me? Which is it? Do I escape from it or do I stand up underneath it? If I'm escaping from something, traditionally I'm not standing next to it. I'm running away from it, right? So which is it? It's both. Your way of escape, your way to resist, is by understanding how to get up underneath that temptation. Uh, let me explain it like this. Um, I work out, clearly. Uh, I'm just <laughs> but I was not always this way. Um, when I got married, uh, when we were first married, my wife made uh, many pastas and we had French bread at every meal. So I looked much different than I do today. And uh, I remember a few years into marriage, uh, a good friend of mine named Dave Torkelson, uh, who looks like he eats humans alive. He's just a really buff guy. He's like, I'm gonna take care of you because this ain't working. I'm like, let's go. So he got me to the gym and uh, Dave's, uh, Dave's got a freak metabolism for a guy in his 40s. And so he doesn't really need to do a whole lot of cardio. He just lifts heavy weights. But uh, in working out with Dave, I noticed that he did a lot of upper body, but not a lot of lower body. And so I was one of those guys who skipped leg day every single week. And uh, I, I looked okay on the top, but I had uh, little twigs on the bottom. Uh, I was like an orange on a toothpick. Like that's, you know, I, I, was, I was very awkward looking. And uh, later on in my workout journey, a good friend of mine named Jared Lemke, who was a trainer, uh, I constantly at him on Instagram and we have these little challenges back and forth. He said, Biddle, listen, if you're gonna get a full workout, you need to bring leg day into your equation. I'm like, I don't wanna do legs. Like, what are, these toothpicks are amazing. And he's like, we're gonna fix you. So we went to the gym together and uh, Jared immediately puts me on a squat rack. Um, if you don't know what a squat rack is, uh, it's a torture device that they, I'm just kidding, no. Uh, so he loads up this, this uh, barbell with all these weights and he's like, all right, I need you to get underneath this thing and you're gonna lift. I'm like, okay, let's go. So I get underneath this thing and the second I start to try to lift, I'm like, nope, I'm good. I'm, 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 just, I'm good. It is way too heavy. There's no way I'm going to lift all this weight. He said, Biddle, you get underneath that thing and you lift it. I'm like, Jared, you don't understand. These could break. Like, I need these. And he's like, you can do it. Okay. So I get underneath. He said, fine, I'm going to help you. I'm going to spot you. I said, okay. Never trust a guy who says that, by the way. So... I get underneath this thing and I get down and I start to squat. And right about the time I'm here, Jared, let's go. I'm like, ah. and I'm ready to fall. And he just starts screaming at me, push, bit old push, you got this, you got this, push. I'm like, I hate you and your family. Like, I just, so finally, I just start pushing and eventually, Ah! You know, I get to the top and I'm like, yeah. He's like, see, I told you, you had it in you all along. You just didn't realize it. You can lift that thing. You just got to understand that there's more in you than you realize. This is what God is saying to us through 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There is a method for escape, but that method doesn't mean that you just run away from the temptation. If you simply run away from temptation over and over again, you're never really learning how to resist it. 
For years, we were in youth ministry and I would watch these parents try to raise their kids in this bubble and it's Christian school and it's Christian community and it's G-rated movies and it's no friends. And you know what happens the second that kid goes off to college? They self-destruct. Why? Because we tried to avoid temptation and we never trained them how to resist temptation. God's desire is not for you to stay weak in your faith so that one day you just fall into temptation without realizing it because you've been avoiding it for so long. God wants you to be a strong believer. He wants you to be able to resist the enemy. Temptation is your invitation to grow and to develop and to mature as a believer. And we gotta understand how to get up underneath that thing instead of trying to run away. You need leg day in your Christianity. This is not gonna be a church with a bunch of toothpicks on the bottom, no. We want people that know how to resist the enemy. Because listen, there is temptation facing you every single day from every corner and every angle in this city. And if we don't know how to get under it, we're never gonna live free. Freedom is not the absence of temptation, it's learning how to resist it. Here's the million dollar question for the sermon this morning. How do we get under our temptations? How do we get up under and learn how to resist? I think the most famous story in all of scripture about resisting temptation is a story that many of us in the room will be familiar with. It's in Matthew chapter four and it's where Jesus kind of has this showdown with Satan in the desert. And it's right after Jesus is baptized and I want you to pay attention for a few moments as we, as we dive into this and look at what Jesus said as he begins to resist the enemy. Matthew chapter four, uh, starting in verse one. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and he became very hungry, I would say so. Uh, during that time, the devil came and he said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, for it is written, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, if you're the son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they'll hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, it is written, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their, uh, and their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and you will worship me. Get out of here, Satan. I just always feel like that's a, <laughs> like a Western line. Like, Get out of here, Satan. <laughs> Jesus told him, for it is written, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Three times, three times, third finger was having a hard time coming out there. Three times, the devil comes to Jesus and he tempts him and he tries to appeal what he would assume is resident inside the flesh of Jesus. He says, hey, um, bow down and worship me. He appeals to Jesus's hunger. Hey, just turn those, those rocks into bread. Hey, all of this I'm gonna give to you. Pride, doubt, hunger. He, he tries to, to find something to resonate with in Jesus. And all three times, Jesus gives the exact same response. Say it with me. It is written. Those three words were the weapon that Jesus deployed on the enemy in that circumstance to overcome temptation. It is written. Now, 
let, let me offer some theological insight that might challenge the way you think about Jesus, but we know this to be true according to Hebrews chapter four. When Jesus resisted the devil, he did not do so as God. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. But according to scripture, he is intimately familiar with every temptation that we face. In fact, the Bible says he was tempted in the same way that every single one of us is tempted. Let that comfort you today, that Jesus is not unfamiliar with what tempts you. And so when Jesus squares off with the enemy, he is not squaring off as God against the devil. It is man squaring off against the enemy. Why? Because God is showing us in this moment that there is something on the inside of us. We have the capacity to resist the enemy in our humanity. Jesus is saying, I am giving you the secret. I am showing you the weapon to use so that you do not have to fall into temptation. And here's the weapon. It is written. You have got to know what the word of God says about what you're facing. Not just in an ambiguous sense, but there is scripture and verse for every single situation you find yourself in. Any temptation you're facing, the Bible has something to say about it. And the Bible says of itself in Ephesians chapter six that it is like a sword. It is a weapon that we can fight the enemy with. And as we fight with the word of God, the same thing that happened to Jesus will happen to you. Eventually, he's gonna flee. Eventually, he's gonna bow down and realize, no, this weapon is working against me and I can't, I, can't, I can't play this game any longer. You have got to know what the word of God has to say about your situation. And not just so that you can thumb through it and hopefully find it, okay? This is not like garlic to a vampire. Owning a Bible does not make the devil go away. Owning a Bible does not make temptation flee. No, you have to have it inside of you. Jesus was not thumbing through the Torah in the desert. He had something inside of him already. So that when the desire came, when the temptation came, he knew, oh, there's the scripture I'm using for this situation. Let me ask you, as I did at the beginning, what tempts you? Are you tempted to give up because you feel like you've been fighting and you're failing? Well, Romans 8 says that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Do you feel like the job has exploded and there's no purpose left in life? Well, Jeremiah 29, 11 says that he knows the plans he has for you and they are good plans there to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Do, do you feel like, ah, my finances have blown up and I have no idea what's gonna happen? Well, Matthew chapter six says that God cares more about you than the sparrows of the air and the, the lilies of the field. And if he takes care of them, he's gonna take care of you. You will not lack any good thing. There is a scripture and a verse for any situation you find yourself in. You just gotta have it inside of you. I think the reason that so many of us fall prey to the same temptation over and over and over again is because we just don't know how to fight. But I'm telling you today, if you will get the word on the inside of you, you can resist the enemy and he will flee. You can get up underneath that temptation and you can bear the weight of it. If it's happening, it's because God knows you got something in you that maybe you don't even know is inside of you yet and you can resist this thing. Now, disclaimer, will you fail? Yeah. Will you fall? Absolutely. Welcome to the team. 
But the beauty of Jesus is that even when we do fail, he forgives and he forgets. He doesn't hold a, a list of your sins against you. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, he keeps no record of wrong. But, but let's not forget this simple thought. I'm gonna land where I started today. While he does forgive our failures, he also rewards our victories. How did James start this whole thing out? In the very first verse, he says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I don't know if this is figurative or if this is literal, but I know what it's speaking to. It's speaking to a moment that I'll experience and you'll experience and every one of us is gonna stand before Jesus one day. We're gonna give an account for this life. We're gonna tell him what we did with his son. What did we do with Jesus? Did we accept him? Did it change the way we lived our lives? And the picture I get from this scripture is that in the same way your parents would celebrate your victories in life, your friends would celebrate your victories in life, there's a moment where Jesus is gonna look you in the eye and you say, hey, remember back in 2007 when you had an opportunity to make the wrong decision, you made the right decision? You probably don't even remember it. I do, well done. Hey, hey, hey remember in, in 2012 when, when you decided to give and you weren't withholding from me any longer? Well done. Remember when you faced that temptation with that, that girl that you thought you were gonna marry and it turns out you didn't marry, but you, you kept yourself pure? Man, well done. There is a crown of life reserved for those who are victorious in the face of temptation. I want us to live our lives in a way where we understand that we're gonna stand before Jesus and give an account one day, not in fear, but as a moment to go, me resisting this thing is worth it. It's worth it. I don't wanna go down that road again and I'm gonna stand before Jesus one day and resisting in this moment is gonna be a celebration in heaven. Blessed is the person who resists temptation for they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Come on, I want you to have a crown. I want me to have a crown. You get a crown and you get a crown and you get a, everybody gets a crown. I want an Oprah moment in heaven. But we gotta get up underneath this thing. Come on, I'm believing for you and I've been praying for you all week and I'll continue to pray next week that this is gonna be a week where you see greater victory in the face of temptation than you have ever seen before. That that thing that took you out last week is not gonna take you out this week, but you're gonna live in victory this week. Come on, can anyone give me a decent amen? Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.